Welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. John Schmoke with you. Thank you so much for being with us today. Lance Meadow with me as we take your calls at 973-667-1960. We're going to answer your questions on Twitter. Lance will monitor that at hashtag Giants chat. And we will answer your questions that you submit via the website at Giants.com slash podcast slash BBK questions this is gonna be a fan show everybody so Lance and I'll do a very 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 quick open here then we're gonna get it right to your calls we already have somebody on the line and uh, we will answer your questions throughout it's gonna be a bit of a potpourri type of show uh, but first Lance how are we sir I am doing very well how about yourself doing all right I'm geared up ready to go excellent well, let's right. answer these questions all right so let's do it we have a caller on the line let's get to him right away right off the bat let's not waste any time let's go to Lou and Lou joins us from Virginia. Lou, we are on Big Blue Kickoff Live with Schmelk and Metal. How are you? Thanks, guys. Thanks for taking my call. No problem. Actually, I've got two points. I talked to you about the one. Um, first off, let's start with fans. I'm as avid as you guys are, but we don't know what the team's going to look like until we start playing. So asking you guys the same questions over and over every day is kind of redundant. So we should just dial it back a little bit and be patient and wait till we see what the, the product on the field looks like. Secondly, we're not the GMs of the team, as you guys aren't, so suggesting trades that aren't going to be done is stupid as well. Guys, we don't own the team. We don't have the money, so we can't control what they do with the money. So dial it back. Just watch and see what happens, and that's it. I just, like I said, I listen to the show all the time, and we keep hearing the same questions about free agents that we're not going to get, and it's kind of dumb at this point. So, well, Lou, that's i got to tell you, it, all you're doing is hearing the questions on the show. If You <laughs> you have to see the questions that get submitted. If I see Jadavian, Clowney, and Yannick Ngakwe, one more question, I'm going to slam yeah, my exactly. face into the wall. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I, I, I listen to you guys every single day, and it's, and it's the same guys asking you the same questions. Like if it was someone else who never heard the show asking a question, I could see that. But it's the same guys asking the same questions over and over again. And it's really, really stupid. So I don't mean to insult anybody, but come on, guys. There's got to be something else we can talk about. Love you guys. You guys are great. So thank you for taking my call. I appreciate it. Thank you for calling in, Lou. We, we, we appreciate you listening. And look, guys, it's tough. Um, I wish we had more stuff to talk about. I wish we had, you know, spring practices to talk about. I wish we had OTAs to talk about, Lance, and mini camps and all that sort of stuff. Unfortunately... Uh, all we kind of have right now is projecting and, and trying to figure out what's going to go on. It's, it's kind of all we got. That's all you could do at this point. You can only speculate because we don't have any content even going back to the spring to say, hey, this guy looked good or they lined up this guy in this spot and therefore this is what perhaps Patrick Graham will utilize within his scheme or this is where the focus of Jason Garrett's offense is going to go. And we used to get those tidbits so we could apply that to our conversations right now. Unfortunately, we're limited in that department. And with respect to the trade market and free agency, Everybody loves to play fantasy football, John. That's the problem I have with football analysis in general. There's fantasy football, which is fun for all of us to put together rosters and collect as many points as we want over the course of a season. And then there's actually putting together a legitimate roster within the X's or O's of the NFL. And, and the salary cap yeah, of the Yeah, and the way that fantasy football operates is on the complete opposite end of the spectrum from how reality football operates. So I would think... 
getting back to just the caller's point, which I would echo his sentiments, I think what has ruined the conversation is fantasy football because people see how easy it is to put together stars and think that GMs could snap their fingers and do the same. But you just can't do that, especially when you're bringing in the finances into play and you can't just all of a sudden grab a pro bowler and expect to pay him nothing and just out of the goodness of the heart, he is going to all of a sudden wanting to come to this team. Yeah, and I'll throw in there too just – just one other note. We should, Lance, I would imagine, within the next week for the guys like Everson Griffin and like Jadavian Clowney, I got to imagine that we're probably going to have some level of understanding of where they're going to play by the end of next week when veterans start to report. And, you know, those guys, we talked about, you know, there being kind of a dead signing period between the draft and, you know, the start of training camp because these guys don't care about these virtual offseason programs and such. But they're getting to the point now where they're going to want to report. So I got to imagine we're going to see some type of movement with those guys that have remained free agents uh, take place sometime in the next week or so. Well, because now I think there's motivation on both sides, to your point. I think the players obviously want to get back, and then the teams have a reason to make those signings, John, because they can actually put these guys on the field. However, I do think, though, there is still going to be a segment of this veteran group that is saying to itself – Right now, I'm just going to wait things out because, as you know, injuries are a part of this game, and especially with the coronavirus thrown into the mix, some team is going to lose a critical player when they least expect, and then a guy like Clowney and a guy like Griffin all of a sudden is going to have their phone ringing through their agent, and they may have now an extremely attractive opportunity to join a team that is really in contention. So I would not be surprised, John, as a side note, some of these guys may be more of the mindset, you know what? I'm just going to sit back, work out on my own, and just play the waiting game. Especially at the first two weeks, you're just strength and conditioning, right? Yeah, The guys exactly. might think, well, we don't, we don't need to be there for that. So you're right. You know, maybe we'll be another two weeks. Who knows? By the way, the number is 973-667-1960. 973-667-1960. We only have one line, so when you get through, um, I'll put you right onto the show. You'll just hear us. No one will screen your call. And if you call up and it's busy, that means somebody is on hold and we can't take your call right now. But just, you know, keep trying and we will make sure we do eventually uh, get to your call. So um, we've had a bunch of questions in our, you know, show document here, Lance, but we've had some ones come in recently I haven't put in yet. So I'm going to pull from those. You haven't seen these. So these are questions that Lance has not seen. So we're going to try to play a little gotcha with them right now. (laughs) So let's go to Mark. He writes this question, Lance, and this is Mark's question. One thing that he felt hurt the sack numbers last year was the scheme in the back end of the defense. He felt there were a lot of third and five or less, and a lot of times the quarterbacks were playing off coverage, allowing slants or easy passes for the first down. He wants to know if we think Patrick Graham will play more press coverage in those situations this year, which might give the rushers a little bit more time to get home. Well, the other thing that I would throw in before we get into what Patrick Graham is going to do, the Giants also had struggled in some third and longs too. So I would say the inefficiency, John, on first and second down also prevented them from having a lot of attractive opportunities to actually get after the quarterback on third down. When you're facing a third and five or a third and four, a little bit different than when you have them all of a sudden against the wall on a first and 10 or a second and 12, meaning you got to be more productive on your early downs. That to me is step one in order to get the sack numbers up. And more often than not, to the tweeter's point, they were in 
favorable. The opposition was in favorable third downs because the stops weren't coming on first and second down. So that, to me, is a key that's synonymous. As far as the coverage is concerned, I think it comes down to, John, how confident Patrick Graham is with a lot of these young guys. James Bradbury, I don't think he's going to have any concern about lining him up in press coverage and saying, hey, take your man, go one-on-one, handle your business. But if we're relying on the Corey Ballantines of the world, the Sam Beals of the world, then I think the jury is still out with a lot of these guys. I don't know what Patrick Graham thinks of them in terms of lining them up in press coverage every single down. So I think we're going to have to wait and see what we get out of the field. I think one side of this defense of the secondary is pretty much locked in with James Bradbury. I think you know what you're going to get out of him. I think the other side remains a question. So to say that it's simple as Patrick Graham plays more press coverage and then just like that, the pass rush is going to increase. Well, also the pass rush has some question marks. Outside of Kyler Fackrell, who's going to emerge this season? Is O'Shane Zimmer is going to take a step up. Is Lorenzo Carter going to have a breakout third-year campaign? So let's not make it sound as if the secondary is the only thing that needs to be tweaked, and then all of a sudden the green light is given to the guys up front. I don't necessarily see it that way. I think there's some question marks in both facets of the defense. Yeah, I do not have any sort of metric. I'm kind of going through the Pro Football Focus database here that indicates how often teams press, but I will say this. Based on looking at Patrick Graham's tape last year with Miami, he likes to play press man. The same way the Lions do, Matt Patricia, the Patriots do, Bill Belichick. So I would think that, Pat, and the Dolphins did last year, as I mentioned. So I would think that you're going to see a little bit more press coverage, especially to your point with James Bradbury. But the question, Lance, is whether or not the guy on the other side can handle it. Yeah. And, you know, we saw last year when they tried to put DeAndre Baker in press coverage, it did not go well. It just didn't. He says he's more comfortable playing press. He played press in college. But when he played press in the NFL last year, it did not go well especially earlier in the year. So I think that was a product of the personnel. And to your point, we have to see what Patrick Graham thinks of the personnel this year to see if they're capable of playing press. Because if you put these corners in press man and they're not able to do it, that turns into big plays awfully quickly. Awfully quickly. Well, and that was well documented last season because the Giants gave up a lot of big passing plays for 20 or more yards. They were up near the top of the league, I would say, for the bulk of the season. Now... If he's not confident in playing press coverage with his other corner, could you see perhaps in order for him to make up for that, maybe blitz a little bit more? And you go to the Dolphins' numbers last season, they blitzed about 32% of the time. That was the 11th highest rate in the NFL, just to give you an idea. But once again, different personnel now that he's working with. And I'm sure his decisions were also based on the fact that the secondary, as we've talked about on multiple programs, John, was decimated by injuries. He was bringing guys up from the practice this squad, signing them off the street. His best safety gets traded to the Steelers early in the season, and then he loses Xavier Howard, his best corner, to IR. So if those dynamics don't repeat themselves with the Giants, does he say to himself, we've got to blitz more, or do I feel good that the consistency of the group is going to stay on the field and we'll utilize that personnel? Once again, that remains to be seen, but I bring up the blitz percentage to show Graham's not scared of being aggressive. And I wouldn't be surprised if he tries to repeat himself a little in terms of taking his chances with this group. But it's still going to go on the shoulders of the secondary and the safeties too. Let's not leave the safeties out of the equation, John. I think their ability to help prevent those big plays down the field and how he utilizes guys like Peppers and McKinney near the line of scrimmage just to mix things up, I think that's going to tell a lot about the success of this secondary as well. All right, let's go to our next question, Lance, that Hicks in Philly. I'll just read the full question. It's a long one. I know how much tape you guys watch. Can you point me in the right direction and look at Will Hernandez? So many people talk about his regression and performance 
becoming worse in his sophomore year. What games do you think he struggled in? I've rewatched about 10 weeks, and I can't seem to find um, poor performances. He, he continues to play well. If anything, the guys to his right and left struggled, and he performed the role he seemed he should. Let us know what you think. Well, Hicks, I don't think Will Hernandez regressed in his second year. I just don't think we saw a huge jump in his second year. And I think there's a difference there, right, Lance, where, you know, he played well. He was fine. He wasn't a disaster. He wasn't great. He was solid. Uh, there were some plays where he could have done better, but that's, you know, it's, it, it, it's like that way for all offensive linemen. But I don't think we've seen that big jump yet from where he came in as a rookie. So I think that's what we hope to see in year three or year four as he continues to to age and, and gain more experience as a new position coach. But I didn't see a quote-unquote regression from him in his second year. I just saw the same type of player that we saw in year number one. Yeah, I think that's a fair synopsis. The other thing that I'll throw out, and I think the questioner alluded to it, is the fact that you have to take into consideration over his first few years in the league, John, he has played with a few different centers. And then also Nate Solder is looking for a bounce back season after having his ups and downs last year. So let's not be naive. He may have not made a significant jump up to your point, and he may have not necessarily regressed, but I think he was impacted by the instability around him. And listen, when you play offensive line, you have to be ready that your teammate could go down in the blink of an eye, and you have to be prepared to line up now against a different center and line up next to a different tackle. So I'm not trying to make an excuse for that, but when you do throw a young player into a different scenario week in and week out, it is going to obviously impact his consistency in terms of the blocking and pass protection. So I think the key for him is, is Solder stays at left tackle? Does Solder have a bounce-back season? Is Spencer Pulley going to win the starting center job? And is Spencer Pulley going to hold on to that job? I think those two factors you have to talk about to determine how far of a step forward Will Hernandez is going to take in 2020. No question about it. Let's go to the phones at 973-667-1960. Caller, you're on the line with Lance and John. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Len from Columbia, Maryland. What's up, Len? Hey, guys. Um, I share your frustration um, about, you know, not hearing anything or being able to see things on the practice field. Um, I can't imagine, though, that there won't be some sort of question answer uh with coach judge uh at the end of practice i mean geez, Unfortunately, the, media Lance, out, the, media, the number of media outlets that cover the giants is just i, I mean it's extraordinary yeah, but Lance, we, we might not have a media availability for another two weeks still who knows i mean you might not have an actual practice for two weeks yeah still. I, at okay. least maybe more okay but what, suppose just uh, and I'm, I'm just you know hypothetical um, Golden doesn't show up. I mean, that's not going to happen. He's going to show up. But how would we, I mean, would we find out, John? Um, I mean, but you would probably know when you have the first practice and whether or not he's there. I see. I would imagine. I see. I see. Well, once we get to that practice, do you, do you imagine that there would be some sort of, uh, you know, maybe it's a, a pool of reporters. Yes. Maybe it's not oh, 40 yeah. people. yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure, Len. Once they start having practices, as far as I understand, there will be a small group of media there, and yeah. and we'll be able to watch in some way, shape, or form. They're still working on all those details, but yes, uh, it it will be maybe not exactly like training camp used to be, but there will be access, okay. and there well, could very well be a lot of virtual media sessions too. They probably will allow reporters a few to watch practice, but that doesn't mean that Joe Judge is then going to interact with the reporters in person. They may hold a virtual setting later on, depending, of course, what they think is most. Well, 
suitable. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think all interactions between media, coaches, and players this year will all be virtual. Yeah. I don't think there will be anything face-to-face. Well, it sounds like there will be some sort of news coming out of training camp. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. yeah well, in terms of the developments that's, at practice here or there. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, it is going to be a long seven weeks, though, if that's how long it is, six, seven weeks, until we, until we get to the first game. And, and, we, and we are surprised at the, what side Thomas is playing on. Um, you know, again, just a hypothetical. Do you, do you think we'll know that, Sean, as we go through the, the, the last four weeks or three weeks, uh, what, what side Thomas is playing on? Uh, I think not, it depends. Not that that's the most important question. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends where they put him in practice, and that's how we'll judge. I mean, they could very well be alternating him through practice. They do that a lot with the offensive linemen. And with no preseason games, keep in mind, Len, we're not going to know who starts out in a game setting until week one. So even if we see it in practice, doesn't mean that's what Joe Judge and the staff is going to choose to do come week one. Yeah, yeah, right, right. It's going to be a big mystery and, and, you know, perhaps a real surprise on the first night. Now, I don't know, you know, maybe that's – in. It, advantage to the Giants going into that first week, you know, we'll play in the Steelers. I mean, that's pretty stable football team and coaching staff. And, um, you know, I know they got some hotshot rookies, Claypool, McFarlane, et cetera, who are coming in, and we're not going to know how they're using those guys. But we may have a pretty good idea um, about how Tomlin is going to play things. I don't think they're going to deviate too much yeah, from what they've done you know, in the like, past. It's funny. I, I think it goes both ways, right? The advantage goes to the Steelers because the Giants are a young team that hasn't had a lot of work on the field together, and they're still figuring things out. The Giants have the advantage because the Giants will know have a better idea what the Steelers are going to do, to your yeah. point. And the Steelers are probably going to have very little idea exactly how Jason Garrett's going to use his personnel. So it does go both ways, but in, in my opinion, I would still rather be the team that has the returning head coach, returning coordinator, returning veteran oh, yeah. quarterback. Oh, oh, I, sure. I still think that's where the oh, advantage yeah. lies. Oh, well, and yeah, here's yeah, the other yeah, thing yeah. that you can't dismiss, Len. Keep in mind, Ben Roethlisberger barely played last season. He was out the entire year. They had a mix of quarterbacks. You had James Conner in and out of the lineup, Juju Smith-Schuster out of the lineup. So you know, even though there's some film on the Steelers, a lot of these guys were not on the field together last season. So yeah, there is a little bit of unknown, I would argue, with Pittsburgh yeah, yeah, that yeah, we I, haven't I, necessarily I, seen fully over the course of yeah, I could see that. I could see that. That's that's a that's a good point. Um, you mentioned the offensive line. Let me just quick point. Um, I, I mean, at this point, it, it it looks as though I mean we 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 pretty much know eight or nine guys, um, and it looks as though since we've moved this far along that um, there's no debate at the start of the season about who the starting center is going to be. I mean, I. You know, I, can't I don't know see... about that, Len. I really don't. I think it's an open competition. I do. I honestly believe that. Okay, you think this this far along without the OTAs and everything, John, that a guy like Lemieux or Gates can unseat the, the veteran center? Now, I'm not a big fan. I understand that, but I'm just saying. I think it'll be tough for Lemieux. I think it's easier for Gates since he has game experience already. Okay, but but we're still... Essentially, we're still talking about the same eight or nine guys. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I think mm-hmm. that's falling in place. Sure. All right. Good. Let me, let me make okay. one more Real point quick. about Golden. I'm glad he's back. Um, you know, no, nothing like senior leadership. Not that he's, uh, you know, been around 10 years. I think he's going into six and he's 29 years old. But he falls into that four to eight year category veteran. You know, I think he's going into his sixth. And I, I personally like that. I think the Coria team has to be there. He gives us four 
veteran linebackers. I know X-Man is a young guy. He's only had the one year. But, I mean, it's four veteran outside linebackers, and um, it's better than, you know, without the OTAs and the rookie training camps and all that sort of stuff, having to force at this point one of those, uh, you know, late draft choices, linebackers, into some sort of, um, you know, important position on the on on the you know on the defense, and I, I mean, Golden can play in this game, in, in in this league, and I think it's the advantage to the to the Giants that he that he is coming back, and I think it, you know I think he's going to help, and you know I think that gives us you know you start looking at numbers. Excuse me for that, but you know I look at you know I look at that linebacker core, and you're talking about seven guys. You, you know, it's not all that bad. I mean, there's, there's probably no Pro Bowlers there, but. You know, we got the four outside guys, we got the three inside guys, and we got Cam Brown, and then the other guys. I think Brown's going to be a good player. I'm, I'm partially biased on Brown because he comes from the next town south of me, okay. <laughs> so I've kind of, I've kind of followed him, and uh, you know, followed him a little bit at Penn State, and I hope he does well. All right, Len. Okay, thanks, guys. Thank you. Appreciate the call. Yeah, look, I think it's interesting to see what how they use Cam Brown. Is he going to be an edge rusher, Lance? He wasn't really much of a pass rusher in college. He was kind of a strong side 4-3 guy. So I don't know how they're going to use him. I think it'll be interesting. But, yeah, I think to Len's point, I think, you know, the meat of these NFL rosters are guys that are in their mid-20s, you know, on the either tail end of the rookie contracts or just off their rookie contracts, and those are usually going to be your best players. It never hurts to have veterans on your roster that you're going to rely on, especially in these circumstances because they've been through training camps before. They've been through OTAs. They understand what it takes to get ready both mentally and physically for a season. So I would never dispute that point. But, you know, even if you then go beyond the veterans, you still have a lot of youth and inexperience. And O'Shane Zimenez, who Len brought up, keep in mind, and we've talked about this a lot, John, the rookies last year did not have a typical offseason. I think we often do not bring that up enough because they were preparing for the draft. And when you're preparing for the draft, you're not going through what typically is getting you ready for the season. You're getting through what's going to get ready for the combine. You're working with trainers that are specifically going through those types of run-throughs and those types of activities so that you impress the scouts. Okay, then all of a sudden you get thrown into the mix and it's a very abridged version of camp for a rookie. So what all of these second-year players are looking forward to this season is, I'm not worried about the draft this year. I can now just focus on the scheme. I can focus on my teammates and I can just delve into that. And that was completely interrupted as a result of the coronavirus and what went on this offseason and is continuing to go on. So, you know, when we talk about, oh, well, this player is entering year two, has some experience. Yeah, some experience on the field, but really still hasn't had a full, uninterrupted offseason. And the same thing can be said for a guy like Daniel Jones. And that's something to monitor, John, that you know people don't talk enough about. We always look forward to year two with a player because now you don't have to worry about all the distractions and the bells and whistles associated with the draft. They did not get that luxury this offseason, unfortunately. Yeah, no question about it. All right, we got another call on the line. We'll get to him in a second. I want to get to another question. Again, you can submit them at Giants.com slash podcast slash BBK questions. This one, Lance, comes in from Enzo. He wants to know who will have more sacks this year, O'Shane Zimenez or Lorenzo Carter? Well, that's the million-dollar question I think we've all been focusing on in our heads. I think right now my probably edge would go with O'Shane Zimenez. I think he came along well late in the season last year. 
He had four and a half sacks. He had that two-sack game against Philadelphia. I think when you look at his skill set, his production in college, Lorenzo Carter, I could see them dropping him back in coverage a little bit more this season, depending on how Patrick Graham gets creative. We saw what he was able to do against the running back in that San Francisco game not too long ago. So I would probably lean towards Zimenez. I don't think that the sacks are going to double or triple because especially if Golden's back in the mix and Fackrell, I think those are going to be two heavy hitters. But could Zimenez get to six or seven? I don't think that's too much to ask for. Could Carter end up more in that five and a half, six category? I would think that, that would be probably a realistic outlet. See, I think Carter might play more snaps. So that might edge it to Carter, perhaps. But then if, you know, if Golden does resign and him and Fackrell are, are both out there, then... Don't they take snaps away from both guys? Yeah, or, or maybe do Fackrell and Carter... Uh, do Fackrell and Golden start? Maybe Carter starts over Fackrell. I don't know the answer to that. So I think it'll be close. I think if both guys get an equal number of snaps, I think right now, from what I've seen, Zimenez is probably the better pass ru- pure pass rusher. But I think it's going to depend on, on, on which guy plays more. All right, let's go back to the phones again. It's 973-667-1960. We just have one line. So if it's busy, uh, just keep calling back. You'll eventually get through. Let's go to our next caller. You're on the line. What's your name? Where are you calling from? You're on with John and Lance. John and Lance is Dave from Cranford, guys. How are you? What's up, Dave? All right, Dave. How you guys doing? doing Good. Well. What's up? Hey, John, I, I wanted to, and Lance, both of you, but I, um, John, we had talked a little bit about the Giants' running game and kind of the scheme uh, at one point. I know you've been uh, talking a little bit about it, and I did some homework, and, and as you suggested, and went back and watched a couple of the Dallas games just to kind of see what they were doing. And one of the things that I thought, uh, this ties into a couple questions for you guys, but... I really do think, John, you had mentioned kind of the outside zone being the, the popular kind of, you know, running scheme right now, um, obviously with the success of the 49ers and, and plays like that. And it really does look like that, that was a staple, um, you know, to, to the Cowboys. And I think it was also interesting that they ran it most predominantly to their right side, um, you know, um, you know, which made a lot of sense. But they, they mainly ran it to the right as much as I could tell. And I was just thinking, John, like one of the things about the tackle question that there's been a lot of debate between, you know, Solder and, and Thomas, and I, I think it's interesting that the Giants might make a different decision for a very different reason than people are thinking about in terms of how they think about Thomas, and that is if they think they're going to be a right-handed running team, which most teams are, do they leave Thomas at that right tackle spot mainly because they really like his athleticism and ability to get out in space and his blocking, which he's graded really highly with. Um, and when you, and then you add in the thought that um, Tololo comes from the 49ers, right? The blocking tight end. And even Caden Smith had some exposure to them, you know, before the Giants picked him up, you know, halfway through the season. So you kind of wonder if they wouldn't be familiar with those concepts. And I could, and then the other side is even Ingram. I really like in that outside zone because you could put him more blocking safeties and corners and linebackers as opposed to ends necessarily. So just would love to get your guys' thoughts just in terms of, you know, how you think that might play itself out. Yeah, look, I think some teams run right or left more than others. The Giants uh, had this up. I'll see if I can find it, um, their, their frequency going right and left last year. But, you know, I think when you take a look at it, I think it is interesting when you consider um, 
you know, his ability as a run blocker, which, you know, I think is very strong. He was an excellent run blocker for Georgia. So if they feel Zeitler and him provide the best combination on that side, I could see them being a heavier team that runs to the right. But look, this is one thing we've actually had conversations with. I think Jason Garrett mentioned this to me when I interviewed him way back in the day, where, you know, they're going to determine their run style based on their personnel. So they're going to decide how they think these offensive linemen operate best. We've seen Garrett use outside zone, inside zone power, all that sort of stuff. So I think that's going to be a feeling out process. I think we'll see him do a little bit of everything in camp. And then when they figure out what they do best, that's kind of what they're going to stick with. And I, I guess maybe shift the thanks, John. I was, I was thinking, uh, Lance, I'd love to get your comment and I can take this off air too, but uh, offline and let somebody else get in. But, um, I was wondering what you guys think. I, I mean, I, I get the fact that the whole off season, it's, I mean, it's the most unique situation we've ever seen in, in football for sure. But I, I actually think that there's going to be an advantage for the Giants not having real film, even preseason film, obviously, um, that is going to make it more difficult for at least the first couple opponents, which they have some tough ones coming out of the gate, but particularly Pittsburgh coming out of the gate where, yeah, they'll study Garrett and they're going to study, you know, the D coordinator, what he did at Miami. and But they're not, in both those situations, they're not going to know how they're going to utilize their schemes with the Giants personnel. They're just, they're just, they're just not. Whereas the Giants are going to have a much clearer picture as to what Pittsburgh's going to do. Now, Pittsburgh's got a good team, and so you know that might be really nice, and they still might beat us. But I actually think, from a planning or a scheme standpoint, I think the Giants are going to have an advantage on that side of the preparation. From planning and scheme, yes, but execution's a different story. I think the Steelers are going to be well ahead in their efficiency and their ability to execute because of all the returning players and coaches and schemes. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I think I think that's where you see the – for sure. I think you definitely are going to see that. But I, but I still think that it's – I mean, I remember listening to Blake Martinez, and he was talking about how much, um, you know, he Yeah, Patrick always... Graham prepares him because of the small nuances – of the team and the game you're talking about. But, you know, I, I think you got to go back, though, Dave, to... Thank you, Dave. Appreciate We the had this conversation. Yo, you too, guys. Appreciate you too. The phone Thank call. you, guys. You got it. We had this conversation, John, when Pat Shermer took over as the head coach and James Betcher as the defensive coordinator. And you go back to the 2018 season, and I feel like we had callers call up and say, well, you know, the Giants are going to have a significant edge over Jacksonville. And Dallas, because Dallas is bringing back everybody. The Giants are the land of the unknown. And then Jacksonville and Dallas won those first two games. Now, is that going to be a duplicate of what happens this year? No. My point is, I've heard this story before. Personally, I think we're really reading too much into it. I think the, humong the humongous edge is, John, what you noted. It's all about execution. You can tell me your scheme is great. You can tell me your scheme is creative. You can tell me your scheme has all the bells and whistles. Yeah, but can you guys go out on the field and actually be productive in running those plays? And if you tell me you've had the bulk of your offense together with your coordinator, and yeah, they didn't have nearly as much work on the field as the Giants, but they have run these plays over the last few years, there's those mental reps that they could still refer back to. Whereas the Giants don't have a lot of those mental reps. Yes, Daniel Jones has been working with some of the personnel around him, and I think that's going to help him. That's a bonus. But the defense overall, you got new faces. You got some guys that know Patrick Graham, some guys that don't know Patrick Graham. So this is not necessarily a shot at the scheme. The scheme could be wonderful. The guy's going to know it. 
like the back of their hand in week one? Are they going to be able to be in the right spots? Are they going to be able to execute? So I don't know how much of that land of the unknown factor is going to put the Giants on top. That's why I think, to me, that's just maybe reading a little too much into it. All right, let's go back to the phones at 973-667-1960. Cole, you're on the line. What's your name? Where are you calling from? It is Charlie from Portland, Maine. Hey, hey Charlie. Hey, guys. What's up? <laughs> every day, Charlie. You got to call in every day? No, I didn't call in yesterday. <sighs> Our prayers were answered for once. <laughs> well, I have to call when Lance is on. Well, anyway, what can we uh, <laughs> do for you today? Yeah, I was just uh, talk, I just want to talk about Golden a little bit. Marcus here. What happens if he decides he doesn't want to play? And he doesn't play. He doesn't play. Is it, is there any consipatory pick because he didn't sign his tender, or is there anything like that? I mean, it, w- it would go into the formula, but I think given all the additions that the Giants made this year, I doubt it would have any sort of impact. But well, you know what? If he doesn't sign elsewhere, I might not even go into the formula, actually. See, so I, I don't yeah. think so. No, I don't see how okay. it would because, John, it, to me, it's the equivalency of the franchise right, tag. exactly. Charlie, right. when a guy doesn't sign his franchise tag, and let's say he decides to hold out, did the Steelers get something in return for Le'Veon Bell? I don't know. I don't think so, right? Well, I think it just answered the question. The, doesn't it go up to the tenth week? So he can he can wait until he can. I don't know. You know, whatever God, whatever five weeks, six weeks from now, and decide he wants to sign it. Or can the Giants rescind it and just say forget it? Now remember though, Charlie. Then he doesn't get paid. I mean, everyone wants to get paid. Everyone wants to get a check. So uh, look, I, I don't know what Marcus Golden is thinking, but usually yeah. nine times out of ten in these situations. If uh, you can choose between getting paid and not getting paid, most guys are going to choose yeah. to get paid. <laughs> because there's yeah. no guarantee you're going to make up that salary right. a year or two down the road. I'll bring up Le'Veon Bell again. People talk about Bell. Well, Bell's never getting that $15 million or so that he would have had on the tag. No matter how much longer he plays, he's still not going to get that $15 million back. But because of the pandemic, though, he might have some concerns. And he's he may. Figuring, and, and that's a valid point. You know, why should I play for that amount of money? And then next year, maybe I, you know, you know, I won't get sick, or my family won't get sick, and then I'll go into the free agents market. Yeah, well, so sure. it's, it's a it's a very fair point, Charlie, and that's why I think it's important before we just go on. And once again, this is all according to multiple reports. There's nothing official from the team right, perspective right. that. The tender is like the franchise tag. That's the main point I want to emphasize. You can give a player a tender, you give a player a tag, but it's not official until it's signed. So that's important to understand. So that goes back to your point, Charlie, when you talk about the 10 weeks. If he doesn't sign and he wants to wait out the 10 weeks, he could very well do that. So that's why when the tender is signed, then it becomes official that that player rejoins the team. Right. And can can he also negotiate his, his salary? Can he say to the Giants, I'm not going to play for 1.1. I'll sit out, but I'll play for 6.1. Can there still be negotiations? He doesn't, he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to sign a contract if he doesn't want to. So yeah, yeah of course. But I mean, can yeah. they negotiate, right? Yeah, of course. And uh, yeah, just one thing on the offensive line. I think the best spot for Thomas is on the right side. He's going to be next to a gritty veteran. Zelt, Zelt, what is it? Zeitler. Zeitler. Zeitler right. <laughs> He's going to After be all these years, you would have thought you would have got the name right. <laughs> I know. I, got, I just had a brain uh, fart there. But anyway, well, you have a uh, lot of those, so you're good at that. Go <laughs> ahead. Yeah. But I'm just saying that would be the best place for him. If you put him on the other side with a, you know, with Hernandez, who is only, this is what, his second year, it, it's not the Try same. Third. You know? well, go ahead. You know? You're two for third two. Let's, okay. go, let's go for three for three. Come on, Charlie. <laughs> We're rooting for you. But all I'm saying, is this is the third one is right. He should be on the right side. 
shoulder should be on the left side. That's where he's been for most of his career. And if he's going to have a comeback, that's where he's going to come back. He's not going to come back on the right side and try to relearn that position. So I think you're all going to see that Thomas is going to be on the right side. Soldier's going to be on the left side. Thank you, Charlie. Okay, guys. Appreciate it, Take my care. friend. 973-667-1960. That opens up a line. Here we go, Lance. This is a little bit of an not off-the-wall question, but a little bit of a, of a different taste. This question comes in from our buddy Lorson over there in the United Kingdom. If you could bring back one giant from one year over the past decade to play on this year's team now, who would it be and why? He selects 2011 Hakeem Nix. If I looked if I looked at it, I would probably go back. Can I count 2010 or is that going back too far? Well, it has to be within the last 10 years. Yeah. Is that what he said? Uh-huh. So I can count 2010? I would count 2010. All I'll right. let you have that. So yeah. I'm going to count 2010. I'm going to take Osiu Minura from 2010. He had 11 and a half sacks and 10 forced fumbles that year in 16 games and 20 quarterback hits. So that's the guy I want to bring back, put him on the edge, let him rush the quarterback, and I think he would have probably the biggest impact um, on this team this year. I think that's a good one. Could go in a variety of different directions here because there's been a lot of guys that have had an impact. Maybe a cornerback? Go... Is there a cornerback that you would want to bring in? Well, I was going to go really under the radar, sort of a spark plug slash special teamer, and I was going to bring back 2011 Chase Blackburn. Oh my... That's what really? I was going to do. Seriously? Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Listen, you guys always overlook sometimes those key principles to a team that I argue and when you get that hustle guy or that guy that's going to make those big interceptions in the middle of the field sometimes that could be the difference between two or three wins so I'll go a little bit outside the box it's an out of the box question anyway it is so I'm going to give you an out of the box answer okay no that's fine um is there an offensive lineman I mean Chris Snee was still pretty good in 2010 but he's a guard not a tackle I mean David Deal was getting towards the end at that point Here's the other thing, though, that I have to keep in mind when answering a question like this. If you bring in a guy like that, as you're talking about, you're then going to take off a young guy from the field, and then does that impact the development of that player? For example, the reason I bring it up, I could have easily said 2011 Eli Manning. John, Eli Manning's best well, yeah, season was 2011, right? right? But mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't want to take Daniel Jones off the field. Yeah, so of course. I'm that also thinking like that, though. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I, I think I'd, I haven't given this a ton of thought. I, I think the wide receivers are good enough. I wouldn't go there. Yeah. Tight ends are fine. I, I think mean, you got some depth there. You could argue end. JPP's monster year in 2011, right, when he had all those sacks. You That's could fair. argue that. Um, I wouldn't go with a wide receiver. I Maybe Janoris Jenkins' top year, like, like 2017 Janoris Jenkins. Could you make that argument? I think that's fair to compliment James Bradbury. Yeah, I think that's a name you, you that. could throw out there. Oh, I got one for you. Who do you got? Oh, I got a real good one. Here's another outside the box. I have to look up. I have to look up the specific year. Okay, okay. but I know it falls within the decade. How about the year Stevie Brown had all those interceptions at safety? Okay, that's not bad. That's who that's I'm bringing bad. in. Okay, because he could be my third safety. Okay, so I'm not taking McKinney off the field. I'm not taking Peppers. We'll throw Stevie Brown into the mix. He'll get me all those interceptions. How about that? Yeah, that was Stevie Brown in 2012. That was 12. Okay. Yeah. See, I knew it fell within the decade. I just wasn't sure which year. 
I'm trying to think if there was a corner in the early 2010s that would be worth to bring in. I have to go through the rosters. That's what I'm trying to do, too, because sometimes I mean, visually Ross, you just need Corey to see Webster, the names. Webster, Terrell Thomas. I mean, Terrell Thomas, I'd have to look at when his best years were, plug him in at slot corner. I mean, I think that's a possibility there, right? Um, I'd have to look at it. That's actually a really interesting question. I'm going to save that one, and we're going to ask that to uh, Detino tomorrow and see if um, see if he has a good answer for us. Let's go back to the phones at 973-667-1960. Caller, uh, you're on the air with Schmelk and Meadow. What's your name? Where are you calling from? What's going on, fellas? This is Sean from Maryland. How are you? Sean, what's up, man? Hey, Sean. Hey, uh, question. My, my concern is um, about the offense. Now, I like the moves that we made as far as personnel and the new coaching staff, um, so on and so forth. More specifically, Jason Garrett. Now, when he was with the Cowboys, uh, to my understanding, he was calling the plays, and at some point, the Cowboys stopped him from calling plays. Yeah, he stopped calling plays all the way back 2010, Lance, 2011, something like that, right? Does that sound right? Yeah, I think it may have been a little bit later than that. I want to say maybe 12 or 13, but you could be right. Maybe Maybe it was 12. Well, either way, it's it's been a long time since Jason Garrett called plays. Yeah, my, I don't remember because that was my team. I really didn't care too much about the Cowboys. But do you guys remember why they stopped him from making play calling? And I, I just don't remember. And if so, let's say if, you know, God forbid, things weren't to go well and the Giants had to make the same move that the Cowboys did back then, who would replace him as a play caller on the offensive side, considering Joe Judge is a special team guy? Well, I mean, oh, I mean, Garrett's the offensive coordinator. Yeah. As, as long as he is employed by the Giants as offensive coordinator, he is going to call the plays. If you want a different play caller, you replace him as offensive coordinator, and then you either promote somebody to the position or you hire somebody new from the outside. So it's not going to be a deal where Garrett's the offensive coordinator, Sean, and he's not calling plays. That that goes along with the position. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, no. I, I completely understand that. I'm just saying, what if, what if things go south? You know, I, I just didn't know who on the roster can – is, has experience in, I mean, I think the only other guy that could be in a, that has experience being an offensive play caller is probably Derek Dooley, who's the senior mm-hmm. offensive assistant. He was an offensive coordinator in college the last two years, I think, at Ole Miss does that, or Mississippi State, mm-hmm. maybe one of those two. And then uh, he was also head coach at Tennessee for a while. So he's a guy that could be the play caller. Um, he's the only guy, I think, on the offensive staff. Well, Freddie Fred- Kitchens, too. Oh, that's a good point. A Fre- Freddie Kitchens yeah. also has Freddie experience Kitchens. being a play yeah. caller. Great point, Lance. I forgot about him. Yeah, and Derek Dooley was at Missouri. You were right. Missouri, he was the okay. OC and the quarterback's coach at Missouri for each of the last two seasons. Wrong yeah. r- wrong Southern school that starts with But the M-I-S-S. right letter. Yes, that's the right letter. Correct, yeah. yes. And, and I looked it up. Uh, Bill Callahan took over as the Cowboys play caller in 13. Oh, 13. So it was okay, a little bit right. later. That's it why I just wanted to clarify that. Now, in terms of your question about why they took away play calling— I think it came down to, and this is a debate that every coach has within himself, is do you want to have all of those roles on your plate or is it better to just focus on the task at hand overseeing the team on game day specifically and having somebody else call play? So it was more of how best to divvy up the responsibilities in Dallas, more so than necessarily a reflection of Jason Garrett's play calling because you know the Cowboys have had a consistent offense for the most part during Garrett's tenure, regardless of who in particular was calling the plays. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And with the roster, you know, the roster change that they made in the offseason and draft and stuff like that, I think our offense um, has a 
I think the whole team, to be honest, has a, a chance of being playoff contenders. It's just a matter of what do we do with the chess pieces that we have. So, in my opinion, this season is, is there's a lot of pressure on the coaching staff. I understand there's new uh, new coaches, new schemes. You know, COVID hit. I know there's a lot of reasons, but I, I think they have a strong chance of, of making a playoff. Well, Sean, uh, uh, real quick, I, I don't want to interrupt you. I don't want to put on the coaches though, because in the here's the bottom line for me: these coaches can coach that you know their butts off. But if none of these young cornerbacks step up and are starting caliber NFL players and you're rolling out an outside, a second outside cornerback and a slot cornerback that can't cover anybody, I don't care what scheme you play. I don't care what the coaches do. It's not going to matter. So in the end, it comes down to whether or not the players are good enough to beat the guy they're going up against. You can be helped by the coach. You can be put in a good position by the scheme, all that stuff. And that helps. But in the end, if the player's not good enough, it's not going to matter. So to me, when you look at this year, you know, and, and we talked about turnovers, you can put that aside for now. If this secondary, which is very young and pretty inexperienced, cannot improve and get better, what the coaches do doesn't matter. It's what we saw last year. People want to kill James right. Betcher. James Betcher tried to play man-to-man. James Betcher tried to play press. He tried to play off. He tried to play zone. It didn't matter what he tried. None of it worked. Because the players didn't execute properly. It's true. You know, it, it, yeah. it, it's true. So those guys, and they have different guys now, right? You hope, you know, Sam Beal in his third year. You know, he's healthy and gets a chance to play the whole year. You hope Xavier McKinney's an improvement. You hope Julian Love in his second year improves. You hope Darnay Holmes is a rookie can help you out. James Bradbury's a new outside cornerback. You hope those new players are better. But a lot of them, aside from Bradbury, don't have a lot of experience. So we'll have to wait and see right. when they get on the field if they can do the job that they have to do for the team to win games. I agree. In your honest opinion, do you think they're going to keep um, Baker? I have no idea. I honestly have yeah. no idea. There's so much unknown with that sort of stuff. I wouldn't even want to venture a guest. <laughs> Politically correct answer. That's, that's fair. I don't blame you. But, Sean, uh, it's all I, I got for you, man. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thanks for calling, buddy. Thank you. Look, we just don't know with that stuff. And, you know, it's just there's no point to speculate because it can go a million different ways. But, Lance, to me, look, coaching is important. But in the end, these guys eventually, the players have to make plays on the field. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly, John. I think you made a, a very good point in terms of when we go back to some of the questions we talked about earlier in the show and do the Giants have an edge because they have new schemes, it still goes back to the players. You could be an extremely creative mind. John, you're going to tell me there weren't seasons when Bill Belichick, who is arguably the greatest coach right now in the NFL, and he had years where the secondary was a mess. Oh, yeah. And those guys could not make anything go in their favor, okay? And... Is that because Bill Belichick all of a sudden forgot how to coach Lance, one random year? Look at, look at last year with the Patriots. How are the Patriots wide receivers last year? No, not very good. No, it doesn't <laughs> matter what. Look, the, the coach's job is to figure out what a player does best, right? And then yep. ask him to do what he does best as much as you possibly can. Well, if what the player does best still isn't good enough, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Got to go out and make the plays. Nikhil Harry was a guy they drafted the first round. He missed half the season because of injury. They acquired Mohamed Sanu. I mean, there were a lot of movable parts, so I think that played a role too. But clearly, there were guys that they expected to step up who didn't. The tight ends too. They lose Rob Gronkowski. That's a huge void to fill. The coach is not going to all of a sudden get out his machine and reproduce Rob Gronkowski. He's going to have to coach them up, but the limitations are the limitations of the players, and I think we can't lose sight of that. So you hope that a lot of these young players could stay, take a step up, 
but once again, it's going to depend on how consistent they are week in and week out, regardless of what the scheme calls Yo, for. Bill Belichick's great. Guess what? If Stephen Gilmore gets hurt and they got to bring in some, you know, fifth-round pick without a lot of experience, guess what? It's not going to be good. <laughs> Changes the dynamics of the defense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 973-667-1960. Calls are fast and furious today. I love it. Caller, you're on the line. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hello? Yes, you're on the hey air, guys, sir. What's your guys, name? Jeff from Rhode Island. Hey, How Jeff. You guys What's doing up, man? Today? Doing well. Yeah, you know, I was uh, just wondering why some of these people are getting excited about thinking the Giants might make it to the playoffs this year. Uh, considering the uh, state... Uh, of their defense and how that played last year, I, I wouldn't expect anything like that to happen. Now, Jeff, here's the thing. You're pointing to the right side of the ball, and we've talked about this, and I just want to reiterate it again. Yep. To me, what's going to determine whether or not the Giants make the playoffs is their defense, and I think the offense is going to be fine. You know, the turnovers are obviously going to be a big part of that. I think those will normalize just because of, you know, randomness and kind of regression to yep. the mean, but the defense has to get better. And look, maybe these young guys come out, Jeff, and they all take huge steps. The rookies are great. Graham puts a great scheme together to take advantage of their strengths, and they play really well in that scheme. Is that possible? Sure. Whether it's going to happen, I don't know. I don't know. It all remains to be seen. And, uh, you know, uh, it's just there's two, two things, stats that jumped out at me. I was looking at some stats today about their defense. Uh, number one, the defense gave up 451 points last year. I believe there was only two teams that gave up more than that. Number two was the uh, the giveaway takeaway stat. Oh, yeah. The Giants were minus 17 in that regard. It's two really awful stats right there. It's not good. Terrible. It's not good. And that was dead last in the NFL with the Chargers. And you're right. By the way, the Giants gave up 28.2 points per game. That was the third most in football. It's got to get better, guys. Yeah. <laughs> A hundred percent, it has to get better. Look, Jeff, we're with you. Um, yeah. Look, we've been saying it all off season. This isn't going to come down to pass defense this year. If you can stop the pass and the Giants do a better job at that, because here's the thing, and we, I talked about this, and I'm going to post it this afternoon on uh, the Giants Little Podcast. I talked to George Shakruri, who is one of the uh, data analysts over there. It's a really great conversation. Everyone should go check it. I'm going to post it right after the show. But. Yeah. The reason, I think I talked about this with Warren Sharp too, an interview that's already up on the Giants huddle. The reason pass defense is so important, right? It's twofold. If you get a lead in a game, right, what's the other team going to try and do? They're going to throw the ball to try to come back, okay? So that's number one. Number two, the way teams often get leads is by throwing the football. So they're going to throw the ball to get a lead. Well, you better be able to stop them. So the only time and the most important time when your rush defense becomes really important is when the other team has the lead, they're trying to run the ball to run the clock out, and you're trying to come back, right? So that's, that's not nearly as important as those other two circumstances, at least in my opinion. So yeah. you got to be able to stop the pass in this league. You know, with the way these teams are structured now, with all the weapons and the quarterbacks, yeah. it's a high-level yeah. quarterback league now. If you can't stop the pass, you cannot win football games. It's that simple. Well, the other thing is, I, I I hope you guys will be able to get into the uh, you know the training camp in two or three weeks or whatever it is because uh, I always enjoyed the training camp coverage and uh, I hope that happens relatively soon. Thank you, Jeff. Have a good day. Appreciate it. Uh, and right now we just don't know how that timeline is going to play out because 
Little by little, players are getting tested over these next few days, but because of the protocols Yeah, the rookies. Place, so the rookies right now yeah. are getting tested, right? And then the veterans are going to come in, but because of that four- to five-day window and you have to have two negative tests, it's probably going to push back the time that they're going to even start strength and conditioning, John. Yeah, so, strength and conditioning might not be until August 3rd or 4th, right? And then if yeah. you have two weeks of ramp-up or even just 10 days, you're looking at it. August 15th, before we see even an unpadded practice. So, you know, we're looking at another three weeks at least, maybe a little bit more, Lance, until we have an actual, you know, unpadded practice. You're talking about a padded practice? You're talking about a month probably before we see that. Which means it's really only going to be about two weeks of padded practices because then you start to look at the calendar and assuming the season starts on time, we're already in September. And again, this isn't decided. This is all going to be negotiated. But those are some of the timelines that we've seen floating around the internet from reporters that are usually on top of this sort of thing. So, guys, we're going to do our best to get you the information we can. Whatever I'm allowed to watch, I will watch it. I will report back what I'm allowed to report back. Hopefully, it's a lot of juicy tidbits of information that we can actually talk about something different. But at this point, to lose original point on the first caller of the show, we just don't know. One thing, John, before we get into more questions and calls, sure. I just want to piggyback off of your point about the importance of the pass yeah, defense. Yeah, please, go ahead. And if you look at the Giants' schedule this year, and this goes back to what we were debating earlier about advantage versus disadvantage, well, think about the veteran quarterbacks. Forget the quarterbacks. Just think about the veterans that the Giants are facing this year, that they have to think about slowing down. And one of the youngest facets of the team right now is the secondary. Because with the exception of James Bradbury, and I'll give you Jabril Peppers to a certain degree, we're talking about the bulk of the secondary is one to two years in the NFL. So you're going to have to deal with Ben Roethlisberger. You're going to have to deal with, I personally think Nick Foles is going to win the Bears' starting quarterback job. I think so, too. I think okay? that's fair. You could debate that all you want, but that means that the first two weeks of the season, John, you're going up against two polished veterans. Oh, by the way, two guys that also have been on the biggest stage and have helped their teams win Super Bowls. Then you get Jimmy Garoppolo in week three. Well, Jimmy's been in the league for a long time. Remember, he backed up Tom Brady for several seasons. So it's not as if, you know, he's a young gun all of a sudden getting into the mix. Then you got Jared Goff. Okay, a little bit on the younger side, but still a veteran. Then Dak Prescott. Prescott already has been in the league for four years. You may not get a break. In terms of your pass defense, until week six, John, when you get Dwayne Haskins, assuming he obviously is still the starter at that time, and Haskins is like Daniel Jones. Then you're going to Carson Wentz. You got Tom Brady following that. Okay, then you get Haskins again. Back to Carson Wentz. Then comes the bye, and then here comes maybe break number two, but by then he's going to have a good 11 games under his belt, Joe Burrow. You get Russell Wilson after that, another polished veteran. Kyler Murray is in the same boat as Daniel Jones and Dwayne Haskins, Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson. Okay, so a little bit of youth in weeks 14 through 16, and then Dak Prescott again to end week 17. My point is, John, a lot of veteran quarterbacks this secondary is going to be tested against, and that's more of a reason why we keep emphasizing how the defense is going to determine the ceiling of this team. Yeah, and I go back, you know, like I said, we talked to Warren Sharp about it, and just looking at it overall, um, he compares Lance— where these teams rank offensively year to year, right? So last year for overall offensive efficiency, he had last year's opponents ranked as an aggregate 23rd. He has this year's opponents ranked aggregate as a 15th, for example. Pass efficiency offense. Last year he had the teams ranked as 26th. This re year he has them ranked as 16th. So it's going to be a bit of a tougher ride 
for the pass defense this year, and it's tougher for the run defense too, for that matter, but the question was about the pass defense. So to your point, look, with the NFL now, there's a reason Cam Newton was a free agent. It's because a lot of teams have some pretty good quarterbacks. So there are going to be no easy landing spots this year. And and this is the point we made, too. At the end of the year, you get a lot of these young guys that are probably going to be improving, right? You get Joe Burrow and Kyler yep. Murray and guys like that and, you know, Lamar Jackson, where, you know, they might be playing better at, at, at that time of year. Who knows? Anyway, 973-667-1960. Another caller, you're on the line. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, what's going on, guys? This is Ricky from Long Island. How are you doing today? What's up, man? How are hey, you, Ricky? Hey, I'm glad I caught uh, John and Lance solo today. Um, good deal. I appreciate so it. I just wanted to uh, to give you guys a buzz. Actually, I wanted to, because uh, I, I, I called in on Friday, I want to say, and uh, I had talked to you guys a little bit about some, some stuff on the defense. Uh, and I just wanted to clarify something, because I, I agree with what Lance said in, in response to me. You know, like the D-backs, and I brought up Jabril Peppers, and the defense as a whole maybe isn't as bad as everybody thinks. Um, but I, I made a comment that I just wanted to kind of clarify what I meant. So I, I, I said, uh, you know, I expect Bradbury and like a man-style defense to be shadowing the bigger receivers. Yeah. But I didn't mean that, that you only need one defensive back, one corner that's good. I just meant he, of the guys on the roster, he, he's built to more be a guy we haven't had in a while. Sure. Um, which is a bigger, like a Corey Webster type. Even Aaron Ross was six foot. Um, Terrell Thomas was pretty good for a while. He was a bigger guy. So, I mean, you go back to Steve Horn, too. He was a bigger guy. So, I just feel like we haven't had one of those really, like, kind of taller, bigger, you know, long wide receivers to try to stick with those big, uh, I'm sorry, long corners to stick with those big wide receivers. Um, but that was all I had meant. I don't think I don't know what we've got with the other two. It takes in like you guys will always say three to to tango. Uh, you know, at, at corner in today's NFL, two is not even enough. Um, we got you. Uh, but that that was it. So I just uh, I just wanted to call and clarify that with Lance uh, and you, and uh, appreciate you guys. Thanks, I'm adamant listener, and I'll uh, I'll continue listening. Oh, thank Thanks, you, guys. Ricky. All we right, appreciate Ricky. it. Good call. Thanks for the call. Well, and I do remember that phone call, and we were focusing a lot on the opposite side of the ball, but the fact that he clarified that. Janoris Jenkins was always a solid cover corner, didn't have necessarily as much size to his point as James Bradbury. So, you know, this relates more to some of the older corners that the Giants have had. And what I mean by older, I mean you got to go back several years. I think that gives them at least a good position for Patrick Graham to say, hey, when you go up against the Dallas Cowboys, James... Go and take Gamari Cooper. And then you see young guys are going to have to handle on Michael Gallup still, which is why you can't just have the conversation focusing on one, one corner, but one corner does at least give the Giants the luxury of matching up with arguably the opposing best wide receiver or one of the opposing best wide receivers. Because, for example, the Cowboys is one team that comes to mind where you got multiple weapons you got to worry about. You're going to get Tampa Bay, and Tampa Bay has Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. And, oh, by the way, I haven't even mentioned all of their tight ends. So you're going to need multiple guys that can go out, cover, make plays. And Giants fans, you should know this well, 2016 Giants-Packers, DRC gets hurt, Aaron Rodgers sees Trevin Wade come in, and Aaron Rodgers goes after what he thought was the weakness in the secondary, and you know how that game ended. So that's the perfect example of why I don't want to hear one guy alone is not going to be a savior for this team. 
All right, one more question, Lance, before we say goodbye. I'm going to lock the phones down. We only have about two minutes to go here. We'll get to Andrew McKay, Lance. He wants to know. He, I think he's calling in from uh, writing in from Edinburgh in Scotland, which is cool. Very nice. Um, wanted to know, with this offseason as limited as it is, does this make it more or less difficult for guys like Ingram and Barkley to improve their blocking? Um, now, the thing about that is that you don't really get in pads in the spring anyway, Lance, so you can't really do much on-field blocking drills in the spring anyway, so the, maybe the reduction in padded practices in the summer might hurt that, but they should, well, well, not with the pandemic, but if the pandemic wasn't around, they would be able to go to these you know, facilities and workout places and training centers and work on that. This year, that would not have been possible. So I guess in that way, it maybe does limit some of your ability to work on some of that um, technique stuff because you can't really have that one-on-one -on -one instruction at these you know, player improvement facilities because of the pandemic. Well, even in OTAs, as you mentioned, while you can't be physical, you still at least have an opportunity, John, to go through technique stuff. You can work with your positional coach and they can at least get you to go through the motion so I think that at least is beneficial even though you may not be taking guys down to the turf so missing that and if we're talking about the calendar that we were referring to earlier and you only have two weeks of padded practices okay so that's now less time in as close to a game situation as humanly possible so you add up all this math yeah the opportunities are not going to be there as what would have been there during a typical offseason. So if you want to evaluate it from that standpoint, yes, it absolutely hurts them. But here's the other layer of this. What is Jason Garrett going to ask those two to do compared to what Pat Shermer's offense asked them to do? Now, that doesn't mean that you could get away with not blocking. My point is, how often are they going to be thrown into those scenarios and circumstances where they're going to be asked to block? And is the double tight end formation, which I think we'll see a lot of given how Jason Garrett utilized his two tight ends, does that free up Evan Ingram a little bit more to be solely the receiver and you ask then Caden Smith and Levine Toilolo to do more of the blocking? So does that help counter what they may have missed in the offseason? That's something that could very well help them in the long run. No question about it. You hear the phone ringing. Sorry, folks. We're past 1 o'clock. I'm not going to take another call. So if you're calling in, I apologize. I'm not picking up that phone. So enjoy the ringing in the background as I close the show. Lance, good times. Absolutely. Enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for being with us, everybody. I'm back tomorrow with Fiegels and Detino at noon on Friday. We'll be continuing our remote shows next week. Um, hopefully, uh, sooner than later after that, we'll be back in the facility. We will see how things go. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you tomorrow on Big Blue Kickoff Live on Giants.com at noon. Until then, everybody, stay safe.